Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags put together one of the most efficient shooting nights of the entire season in a rout of BYU on Thursday evening. We're going to recap all of the fun from the kennel before we do a quick preview of Santa Clara ahead of this weekend, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. All right, that was fun, folks. If you missed out on the Gonzaga BYU game on Thursday evening ESPN, it was a doozy. BYU got off to a pretty good start they went up seven to nothing, and then it was just all zags after that. Ten to three run or ten nothing run right after that. BYU tied it up, and then the zags just went rolling. They ended up scoring 110 points. They finished the game shooting 69.4% from the field. I want to be clear, that is lower. <laughs> And what they were shooting for the vast majority of the game as we've come accustomed to the Zags brought in a lot of their walk-ons at the end of the game. And there were a couple more missed shots than usual brought them down below 70%. They were shooting over 70, over 72% from the field for most of the game. That is about three fourths of their field goal attempts were going in throughout this game. It was a remarkable offensive performance, perhaps the best offensive performance I've ever seen from this Gonzaga team. I'd be hard-pressed to find any other games that are more impressive than this. In fact, according to Eric Haslam and the Haslametrics statistics, this is the highest field goal percentage in a Division One versus Division One game this season. Now, some people are going to see, hey, Gonzaga had the best, most efficient scoring day of the season. Boo-hoo, they're in the WCC you know, give us that whole argument. But here's the deal. Not only is this, is the WCC better, which we're going to continue to say on this podcast throughout the season, but this is against BYU. BYU coming into this game, according to Ken Palm, had the 18th best defense in the country. This was a top 20 defense in the nation. And Gonzaga shot 72% for 90% of this game before falling down to just under 70% from the field on the game. It was an extraordinary performance. It was the most points BYU has given up under Mark Pope. Just an incredible, incredible offensive night. The Zags were good defensively as well. They were not great defensively. They gave up 84 points. But when you score as many points as Gonzaga did, as efficiently as Gonzaga did, it's hard to turn around and also hold a good offensive team to below 70 points. You just can't expect that in the same game. I don't think 84 points is anything to be concerned about. I don't think Gonzaga's defense was particularly bad. BYU has a good offensive team. They showed up and played pretty well offensively throughout this game, but the Gonzaga was just that good. Most of this came from four guys. 
four players. To be clear, basically everybody on Gonzaga's roster played well in this game. You don't score 110 points against a top 20 defense unless everybody's firing on all cylinders. And that included Mark Few's son, Joe Few, who scored his first point on a free throw at the very, very end of the game. What beat an incredible moment for the Few family, I have to imagine, to see Joe get in the scorer's column for this game. But the four guys who really did most of the damage for Gonzaga were Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nembhardt, and Julian Strother. We're going to talk a little bit more about Chet and Drew in the second segment, but I want to take this moment here to really highlight Andrew Nembhardt's performance. He has been, perhaps more than anybody else on this roster, the most polarizing player day in and day out. There are games when he looks like the best or at least one of the best point guards in the country. UCLA is a prime example. He was extraordinary in that game. He also played very well against Texas Tech. He has proven that he can be one of the best players in the country, but there have also been games, Tarleton State, Duke, Alabama standout, where he has really struggled. He's gotten sped up. He's turned the ball over. He hasn't shot it particularly well. And so kind of which Nembhard shows up on which day really has a big impact on this Gonzaga team. And today he was cooking. He had 22 points. He had 12 assists. His first double-double in a Gonzaga uniform. He, for a huge chunk of this game, he had more assists than BYU. The entire BYU. In fact, he finished with more assists than BYU. BYU had 11 assists on the day. Again, BYU scored 84 points. They scored 84 points with just 11 assists. Gonzaga scored 110 points with 28 assists, and 12 of them came from Andrew Nembhard. Just an extraordinary game from Nembhard. He did it from the outside. He hit four threes in this game, something that I have talked about at length on this podcast is his struggles from beyond the arc. He has proven me wrong. I am happy about that. He looks like a legitimate shooter. I'm sure he'll still have stretches where he struggles. That is okay. It happens. Right now, he looks very confident shooting the rock, and why wouldn't he be? Four for six from downtown, two for two from the free throw line, eight for 13 overall in the game for Nembhard. Just an extraordinary performance from him. His, and we've known this about him. We knew this about him at Florida. We knew this about him last year. His ability to navigate the pick and roll is better than anybody I've ever seen at this. He is exceptional. He comes off the screen. He knows when to make the pass. He knows when not to make the pass. There was a play earlier in this game where he separated away, took a little mid-range jump shot, and the, the fluidity that he moves with, the ability to recognize that on a dime and make the correct decision and knock down the shot, it is unlike almost any other player that I have ever seen at this level. It makes him and Gonzaga so unbelievably difficult to guard. I stand by him being one of, if not the best point guard in the NCAA, certainly the best at navigating the pick and roll. He's a streaky player. We've seen what happens when he's off and he looks like far from the best point guard in the NCAA and those games happen. But for the most part, by and large, you're not going to find a better point guard to put on your roster than Andrew Nembhard, and he showed exactly why today. Julian Strother also had an extraordinary game. He finished with 20 points, 7 for 10 from the field, 3 for 5 from beyond the arc. He has always been a player who seems to have a really good first half or a really good second half. <laughs> there have been a few games, certainly, where he's put together entire games, but this was definitely one of those games where he was electric, in the first half, he really helped Gonzaga bounce back from a little bit of a slow start. Again, they went down seven to nothing. It happened pretty quickly. It wasn't really 
there wasn't a prolonged slump for the Zags. Again, there's very few games where you struggle for too long if you're going to drop 110 on a team. But he he helped get them out of the funk. He had a couple little floaters early in the game, hit a three early on, really kind of bounced Gonzaga back from a bit of a slow start, and then just cooked for the rest of the half. Again, finished with 20 points. Really nice game from him. Drew a lot of praise from the announcers who really, really like his game. There was a lot of talk about him as a potential NBA player, how he didn't play much last year and kind of learned from Corey Kispert and Joel Eiai and developed his game. And now you can see the fruits of that work that he put in last season. He's obviously an extraordinary player, looked excellent in this game. He's almost an afterthought. Again, we haven't even talked about Drew Timmy and the extraordinary performance that he put on. But Strother had a casual 20. 20 points on 10 shots is normally what you lead off talking about when a player does that in a game. But Strother was kind of the third borderline fourth most notable individual performance for Gonzaga this year. And that speaks far less about Julian and just far more about how ridiculously loaded and talented this Gonzaga team is and how much they balled out on Thursday against BYU. All right, we got a lot more Gonzaga BYU talk in the second segment. We're going to go over my five things to watch. Before we get there, though, let's talk about NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and I'm happy to report we're still talking about the beatdown Gonzaga gave BYU on Thursday night on ESPN, 110 points against the top 20 ranked defense in the country. I labeled before the game on the most recent episode before this, I talked about five things that I'm going to be watching for this game, specific strategical things going into this game. Strategical, we're going to say that that's a word, right? Uh, these are the five things I labeled. We're going to talk about how they went in this game. Number one, how does Gonzaga guard Alex Barcelo? Well, the way that Gonzaga guarded Alex Barcelo was they did what I'm going to call the Gary Bell, which for you, those of you who remember in the 2014 or 2015 NCAA tournament, Gonzaga was playing South Dakota or North Dakota State, sorry, in the NCAA tournament. And they had one really, really, really good guard on their roster. And Gary Bell spent the entire game just right in that dude's kitchen. He was right. He could smell everything that dude ate that day. He was right there. He was not playing help defense. He was not looking for anybody else. He was just right there. The proper term is face guarding. And that is how Gonzaga decided to guard Alex Barcella. It was mostly Rasir Bolton's assignment. And he was just right in his face all game long. Jay Billis brought it up about uh, five or so minutes into the game. So for those people who hadn't quite noticed, that was kind of a good jumping off point. But he was just right. He wasn't playing help defense at all. He was just right there. 
Now, it didn't really work. Barcelo scored 19. He had a really nice game. He scored 19 points on 7 for 14 shooting. He shot 4 for 6 from downtown. The dude is complete money when he shoots the ball. There was one possession where Bolton got tripped up on a screen, went down to the ground. Barcelo had maybe a half a second of time to get off a clean look and nothing but net. The dude is an incredible shooter. One of the best pure shooters that Gonzaga has ever faced without question. He's a 50% three-point shooter. That is unreal. And you could see why Gonzaga went into this game thinking we have to stop him. And the fact that they put, they, they basically committed to playing no help defense with whoever's guarding Barcelo and just shut him down completely. The fact that they felt Gonzaga doesn't do that to a lot of players. We've seen him do it periodically. But the fact that they felt that that was necessary in this game and Barcelo still turned around and scored 20 points on a team that scored 84, that just proves how talented of a player he is and how good he can be in that offense. Now, Gonzaga took care of business on the offensive end in an extraordinary way to the point where it didn't matter at all. Barcelo did most of his damage in the first half. He had 13 there, only six in the second half. But Still a really nice game from him and still proof that Gonzaga had to work really hard on the defensive end to try to stop, slow him down, and still gave up nearly a 20 spot to him. Number two was how does BYU react to the size disadvantage? And this was the telling point of the game. I talked about this at nauseum before this week with BYU. Unfortunately, they suffered two serious injuries to their roster and Gavin Baxter and Richard Harward. Missing those two guys for this game was really really instrumental. Those two guys are big, they're beefy dudes, they handle the paint and BYU's perimeter, or excuse me, their interior post defense without those two guys has been bad all season long since Baxter has been out and it was on full display in this game. They did not have even close to an answer for Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. Drew Timmy had the most efficient night of his career. He scored 30 points on 13 of 14 shooting. 14 field goal attempts and he dropped 30. He only missed one shot. And folks, the shot that he missed, for those of you who do not remember, it was in the first half early. There was a nearly a shot clock violation. Timmy took a dribble, awkwardly pulled up and shot a three. I've never seen Drew Timmy take a three off a dribble before in my life. I don't think that he will ever do it again in a Gonzaga uniform, except in a very, very similar situation at the very end of a shot clock when they just need to get the ball towards the rim. That was that was his only miss. That was it. He missed one shot in the game. Every other shot that he took went in. He was an absolute menace in this game. Some of it was out in transition. Some of it was, of course, in the half court. We saw BYU. They didn't, they, they let him get position. And then when he got the ball, we'd saw them send some double teams, you know, as soon as he got the ball, which is what a lot of teams have been doing. But I'm I'm still flabbergasted that teams let Drew Timmy establish position down low, let him catch a pass within two feet of the basket. I do not know why teams are letting him do that. I know that there's not a lot of other options and that he's very difficult to stop, but it seems like that's a strategy that's going to work less than 5% of the time. In this case, Drew Timmy, he did not miss a shot around the rim today at all. It worked very much less than 5% of the time. It does not work at all. So do not let Drew Timmy get the ball under the basket. BYU did not heed that advice and he torched them. Chet Holmgren is probably the player being talked about the least in terms of the big four for Gonzaga, Nemhard, Strother, Timmy, and now Holmgren. 
But Holmgren had a great game. He only had 12 points, but again, five for seven from the field. So you can't really be too upset about that. He wasn't taking a lot of bad shots. Again, seven field goal attempts, 12 points, seven rebounds, five blocks. A remarkable game from Chet. Again, BYU was missing a lot of their bigs, so he was doing this against young, inexperienced bigs for BYU who kept taking shot attempts around him at the rim which, as we know, does not work very well. It hasn't worked for really anybody this entire season. Probably wasn't going to work for these guys. As much as I think that BYU's young bigs are going to be pretty good in a couple of years, I was impressed by them. Didn't have a good game for them offensively tonight, as you would have potentially expected. Uh, So Timmy and Holmgren combined 18 for 21 from the field in this one. Anton Watson was 4 for 5, so 22 for 26 I think you'll take that. That's, that's pretty good for your big men right there. Again, BYU didn't have the personnel to really stop Gonzaga's bigs down low, and it showed in a significant way in this game. My third key, how does Gonzaga look beyond the arc? Pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. They got the crowd tacos in the first half. I do not remember this ever happening. I don't know if anybody looked it up. I apologize if it is out there, but As far as I know, this is the first time in my recorded memory that Gonzaga got the fans tacos for 10 three-pointers in the first half. Now, they finished with 11 because they just didn't take a lot of threes in the second half because they didn't need to. They were up big. BYU gave up on trying to stop Drew Timmy, and they just did all of their scoring in the paint in the second half. But in the first half, when BYU was much more cognizant of trying to prevent Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren from catching the ball, Gonzaga just torched them from beyond the arc. I already mentioned Nem Hardy finished four for six from beyond the arc. Strother finished three for five. Chet, like I said, he had a great game. He was two for three. Nolan Hickman was one for one. Really outstanding shooting performance. The misses, Drew Timmy missed one like we talked about already. Matthew Lang missed one. Joe Few missed one. <laughs> That's it. And then Rasir Bolton went one for three. A little bit of a struggle for him in this one, at least offensively. Although he had seven assists and he had the, the, the handled the responsibility of trying to guard Alex Barcelo as best as possible. So Gonzaga clearly has taken my words saying that they're not a good three-point shooting team to heart. They're setting out to prove me wrong. If that is the case, I hope they continue to do it. I hope we continue to see this team be successful as an outside shooting team. They went 11 for 20, or excuse me, 11 for 21 in this game. A really, really sharp performance from them. That's 52%. They missed a few at the very end of the game, which had they not missed those, they were closer to 60% from three. An outstanding performance. I don't think BYU was guarding the perimeter very well at all in this game, but it's still very hard to shoot over 50% for a full game. So hats off to Gonzaga for being able to do that. Next up on my keys to watch was if there was going to be any jawing or any conversation with Caleb Lohner, of course, BYU sophomore forward who had comments before the game saying that everybody hates Gonzaga and that it's going to be really fun to play against them. I was hoping that there would be some good natured ribbing from the kennel club and the fan base, and that did not disappoint at all. Lohner got booed every time he touched the basketball. They cheered when he missed. Uh, He shot pretty well early in the game. He actually didn't have that bad of a game and generally finished with 17 points second on the team for a guy who has not been shooting the ball well at all. Seven for 10 from the field, two for three from the free throw line, five boards and two assists, but he also had four turnovers. He also picked up three fouls, two of them very early, which caused him to have to sit for a large chunk of the first half, which also caused the crowd to chant, 
we want Caleb repeatedly at him throughout the game or Caleb sucks. We heard that one too. The kennel club was giving it to him all game long, justifiably. So again, a nice night for him, a bad night for BYU. I can imagine that the comment about how fun this game was going to be was probably not as fun as he was hoping that it would be, but I'm sure he is ready for that game at the Marriott Center later in the season, and him and the crowd there are going to bring it, and that is what this kind of game should be about, and I'm all about it, and I'm excited. My final key was Caden Perry hopefully getting a chance to see him back on the floor after missing a few games with a back injury. We did not, unfortunately, in this game. I don't think he would have come in until about the four-minute mark. That's when Ben Gregg checked into the game, was just above five minutes left. So we saw Ben Gregg again. We saw Matthew Lang, Joe Few, Will Graves. I suspect if Caden Perry were healthy enough to play, he would have played in those last few minutes. So the fact that he did not lets me, tells me that he's probably not quite ready to go. Maybe they're hoping to be able to get him a few minutes against Santa Clara on Saturday. Again, potentially Mark Few has talked or will talk about this at some point between now and the start of the Santa Clara game. I don't think it's a big deal that he didn't play in this game. I don't think it's some indication that he's more hurt than we thought or or that there's something you know significantly wrong with him that could impact his health later on in the season. It probably just wasn't a game where they felt comfortable getting him in. Maybe he's not quite ready to go. Maybe they just were content to see Ben for a few minutes at the end of this game. We'll we'll hopefully find out some more information, but but no parry for this game against BYU here. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to pivot away from talking about this BYU game. We're going to talk about Santa Clara, who the Zags have on Saturday. Preview the Broncos to close out the week. Before we get there, though, let's talk about GetUpside. Hey, Zags fans, Andy Patton here with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about called GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code SCORE and you'll get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much to two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. Folks, Bet Online is back and better than ever. Bet Online has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball season and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three still. Andy Patton still locked on Zag, still talking Gonzaga hoops and previewing their next game in the WCC Conference slate after the big win against BYU. The Zags have Santa Clara, the Broncos, on Saturday at 6 p.m. Look, here's the deal. Santa Clara is good. This is a good basketball team. Again, we've talked a lot about the WCC and how 
disrespected they have been in a lot of circles and certainly how how good this conference is this year. But it's not just Gonzaga and BYU and St. Mary's. It's not just those three teams and San Francisco. Those are definitely the four best teams in the conference. But there are six pretty good teams in the WCC this year. And five and six are Santa Clara and LMU. And Santa Clara, I think, has the best chance of really playing a significant spoiler this year. This is a team that's good enough to beat every other team in the WCC if things go their way their way. They are 11 and five on the year. Ken Palm heading into this game on Thursday night. So it may change over the next couple of days, but Ken Palm currently has this team 72nd in the country. This is a top 75 team in the nation. This team is better than the team that Auburn is playing on Saturday. They're playing Ole Miss. So when Auburn fans say they think they should be number one in the country because they played a tougher schedule, they did not. (laughs) Santa Clara is a top 75 team in the country. According to Ken Palm's offensive ratings, this team is 46th. This is one of the 50 best offensive teams in the country. Defensively, they're 118th. So it's not like they're a slouch on that end of the floor either. Again, 11-5 and five on the year. Their biggest wins are over Stanford, Nevada, and Texas Christian, TCU. So no huge wins, but certainly not bad wins for this team. Their losses, Fresno State, Irvine, Cal, Boise State, and Louisiana Tech. So a couple losses in there that you don't love. Certainly you don't love the Louisiana Tech loss. You don't love... The Fresno State loss, that's not a great Bulldogs team. Irvine is solid. Cal is okay. Boise State is a a top 50 team in the country, so that's not necessarily a bad loss. The main thing about Santa Clara is these dudes can light it up. As a team, they are shooting 38% from three. That is 27th in the country. They are one of the top 30 best three-point shooting teams in the country right now. That is the recipe for how a team that is maybe not as good as the team that are playing can win. You can beat teams that are better than you if you shoot the crap out of the basketball from beyond the arc. This is how USF has historically pulled off a lot of significant upsets. It's how they beat Virginia last year as well. This is this is what these kinds of teams do. Santa Clara has the recipe for success. The key beyond the outside shooting is Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams is so freaking good. He's a WCC first team no doubter if there if Gonzaga wasn't in the conference he would probably be the WCC player of the year he's averaging 19 points four boards three and a half assists per game he's shooting 40 percent from three this dude can do a little bit of everything when the Zags play them on Saturday he will stand out to you on the court you will notice him because he is that good beyond him they have Keyshawn Justice who is in his I believe fourth season with Santa Clara, he's always been a high-volume three-point shooter, but this year he cannot miss. He is shooting 44% on threes, and he's attempting over six per game. This dude can absolutely light it up. So if him and Williams are both hitting their outside shots, you can see how Santa Clara is going to give some teams some trouble this year. Beyond those two guys, the biggest and huge key for them is they got back Yusuf Vrankic. He missed a big chunk of the season with Mono. He's only played eight games this year, but he is averaging 15.6 boards and four assists in that time period. They also got PJ Pipes, a grad transfer guard. He missed about, I think he missed three games, three or four games with an undisclosed illness. It was not COVID related, but he was out for over a month. Of course, Santa Clara only played a couple of games in that month time because of COVID-19 ravaging every other team in the WCC. But Pipes, he's their point guard. He's their facilitator. He's averaging 10.5 points and just under four assists per game. He's not a great 
three-point shooter. He, so he's not going to kill you from beyond the arc the way the rest of the backcourt in Justice and Williams is going to, but he's still the kind of guy who's going to facilitate. He's going to cause some problems for Gonzaga defensively. And with him and Vrankic both healthy, this is a team that's probably peaking right now or is about to hit their peak. I don't think that they're going. They're a serious threat to beat Gonzaga just because they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a ton of size in the front court, which seems to be giving a lot of teams trouble with, of course, the combo of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy and Anton Watson, frankly. But I think this is a Santa Clara team that's going to do some damage. The other thing I wanted to mention when I was looking at their roster, Jaden Bediaco is a third-year backup center for Santa Clara. He was actually an all-freshman WCC member as a freshman a couple of years ago. But the reason that name jumped out to me is because Charles Bediaco, who plays for Alabama, who gave Gonzaga a lot of fits as a true freshman. And I thought, I wonder if they're related. And of course, they are. So Jaden Bediaco plays for Santa Clara. His younger brother, Charles, is the starting center for Alabama. So the Bediaco family is going to see a lot of the Zags this year. I suspect that Charles is the only one who's going to get a victory over Gonzaga this year. So a conversation they can have over Thanksgiving dinner sometime in the future. But Jaden is a guy who is going to, he's going to play. You're going to see him on the floor, uh, but I don't think he's going to have quite as big of an impact as Charles did uh, for Alabama in that game. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Super fun night of Gonzaga Hoops. Super fun interacting with all of you on social media. Super excited for next week when we get Mailbag Monday. Should be a really fun one after this game and hopefully a nice victory over Santa Clara as well. Of course, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. If you have not headed to the YouTube channel, just search Locked On Zags on YouTube hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. Finally, thank you again to those of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.